Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? evidence kind of points to the idea that, um, that that our reality may very well be digital. It looks like it probably is. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Jim Elvidge, um, author of The Universe Solved, a little bit later. But first, as always, Graham, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren, I'm doing pretty good. Doing it non-local tonight. Yeah, I'm never going to stop saying it like that. Really? That's it. That's Locked okay. In. That's okay. My sister doesn't like it, though. That's okay. She Sorry. hates the small talk at the beginning of a podcast. Sorry, grand sister. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> and uh, we got RPJ joining us tonight. How's it going, Red? My friends, how are you? Uh, happy to be here, as always, and trying to, well, discuss. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to discuss because... Uh, like I told you before, before we started recording, I hadn't chance, I hadn't had a chance to to try to search for any interesting uh, information. Wow! So what's the problem? You've had an internet uh, problem? Yeah, the problem is that uh, in my work we moved to a different office and we haven't had a, uh, our provider uh, installed or uh, our router. So we're being devoid of internet during the whole week. And for a guy like me, it's like being without <laughs> water. So see, how did, see, how did we feel, knew, really? It, it, we knew you were going to be down, but for some people on your Twitter feed, they must have really thought something was wrong. Yeah, I know, because for me, like, if I don't write, like, 50 or 100 tweets a day, <laughs> it's kind of unusual. Wow. What's the average? I don't know. I do. I don't, like, I don't do. Some days I'll do like twenty, and other days I won't do any. Wow. So how are you going to fulfill your commitments to other people, like Mysterious Universe, this week? I'm going to have to do a, lo a lot of um, crash <laughs> research. I'm going <laughs> to rely. Yeah, I'm going to have to rely on my. See the Daily Grail comrades to see to check out on their newsfeed because I am I even asked someone to cover for me this Thursday, but I'll, I'll manage. I'll get I'll get by. Oh yeah, you'll be fine. Yeah. Well, first we should uh, big shout out to Cam and Kyle for having us on Ex expanded perspectives. There, I think it came out last Monday. Yeah, was that it was this a great Monday? chat. Was it this Monday? No, yeah, it was, I think it was this Monday, yeah. I don't know, time's just fucking flying by. But yeah, that was a really good chat with those guys. Hey, it was so cool to talk with like-minded people and, yeah, kind of guys, uh, same style as us. Yeah, it, it was, was really, really good. Great chat. I think it was about an hour or so. Uh, and they got a great show. They got a lot of great guests coming up. They've had a lot of great guests already. And mm. you can find them over at uh, expandedperspectives.com. And I uh, highly re recommend checking it out. We've actually, 
Uh, we link to them uh, on the Grand America show on the Grand America homepage. There's a link to Expanded Perspectives, um, so you can go right from there. Yeah, check them out. Even when they don't have a guest, too, they're uh, they've got a good style back and forth, and they got a lot of interesting topics. And I've learned something every time I listen to them. So, yeah, and the accents are easy to listen to too. Easy on the ears. Well, <laughs> it will be definitely easier than mine. <laughs> Hey, somebody complimented you on your accent actually recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. They said it was good because you, you you got to focus in and then listen to what you're saying, and it's, uh, it's, it's helpful. <laughs> they have to really pay attention. Yeah, yeah. You command attention. Yeah, that was a good time. And, uh, of course, I've got um, warmers on my feet again this week because it's minus fucking 30, which is awesome. Whoa. Yeah, my cat Zeus needs to have the door open too so he can jump around in the snow. He's really weird and then he rips around the condo, so I don't know what's going on, but he's, he doesn't seem to care about the cold. Mm. Yeah, we were shut down for a few days with a blizzard there, so that was cool. That was something, that is something that in Mexico, you know, that sometimes you really don't get a sense of the passage of time because we don't have such. Uh, drastic seasonal changes like today there was like 21 degrees celsius you know 50 degree difference yeah imagine that but see i've been thinking why we don't why we didn't migrate as a as a like human beings to the to the to the equator to this warmer climate like why do we spread ourselves all over in these fucking cold climates i I just don't get it i mean i I know we're listening to joe rogan Lots lately, and he talks about it being a, you know, like a, a strengthening thing, right? If you've got to contend with weather, like extreme weather, that it, it builds character. Yeah, he was talking about praising pe- uh, people living in Alaska, like the, the the kind of people that have to take the weather into account, and that kind of mentality also translates to other areas of their life. Uh, in a good way, in a positive way, you know, and that's something that is also being discussed here in Mexico, like the difference between people living in the northern states where there is such a uh, dramatic scarcity of water. I'm talking about uh, the states of Monterrey, Sonora, uh, Durango, and all that, and people living uh, in these southern states like Veracruz, Chiapas, where there is... Uh, it is a warm climate, but it's also there's uh, a, a more uh, more lush vegetation, uh, uh, more access to, to food and whatever. And, and there's this kind of a stereotypical uh, approach that people living in the northern, they are more uh, committed to work and all that, more more productive. Uh, and people living in the southern state, uh, they are lazier. <laughs> That's the idea that they are spent the night hanging on a hammock, you know, and they just need to uh, reach out, you know, stretch their arms and they can pluck out a banana from a nearby tree. (laughs) Siesta in the day. (laughs) Exactly. So what's your thought about that? Is it true? I think there's something to that. that There's something to to the effect that when there is sunshine. Yeah, yeah, and you can even go... uh, to to a more uh, a deeper sociological study of uh, something that 
Mr. Christopher Ryan was discussing with Joe Rogan, which I think is totally valid, that uh, the people living in uh, in places with uh, more lush vegetation and, and easier access to food sources, their religion or their cosmology will have uh, gods uh, that are kinder, you know, they are generous. Whereas people living in harsher uh, conditions, like in the desert or something, like in, in the Middle East, you see the religions, they have like more vengeful gods, you know, like like gods that are going to punish you if you don't behave. I don't know if you can connect religion to it at all, but I don't know if it's even worth living in a cold weather to build your character instead of living in a lazy summer climate all year long. I don't. I want to be live in a lazy summer climate. Hawaii, that's what's so nice about Hawaii. It's like 85, 80, 85 all year round. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It must be great. Yeah, I'd like to just go there. That'd be a sweet place to live, but it's all crammed and super expensive. You know, I can't just go live there. There's a bunch of hoops I got to jump through. Flaming hoops. Flaming hoops. But I... I, 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 I I've been thinking about, I don't know if I would like to live in a, a tourist resort kind of area, you know, Some, somewhere with a beach, you know, or in the tropics, you know, people, the kind of place that people visit when they're on their holidays and you, and you live there uh, 365 days a year. I don't know if I, I will be able to, to, to put up with something like that. Hmm. You know, because you're stuck in an office and you're thinking, man, I should just, you know, quit and go to the beach or something like surf. that. <laughs> yeah, surf. Soifen. Yeah. Hey, before we proceed any further, I wanted to, uh, first off, apologize to all our listeners because of something I said during the podcast uh the last podcast I was seeing, you know, the one with Alex Akiris, I really messed up with some of the links, uh, uh, some of the things I said about one of the links involving uh, Mari Schweitzer. And uh, what I said was this uh, skin of Tyrannosaurus Rex and was total mistake on my part because what they, the, this uh, paleontologist uncovered was not skin. But it was soft tissue. It was like collagen from the 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 skeleton of a T Rex uh, she dug out in Montana. And like the and fascia, like like the what do they call it, fascia or something? Like the primo fascia or something? I don't know. Like the inside of the of the bones. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, like, like the shell was yeah, like, something like that. Yeah. Like the marrow and the fact that they could find out soft tissue from a uh, millions of years old uh, fossil. But I said that it was skin and that was a total mistake from my part. So I apologize uh, to the listeners for the erroneous information I provide. Oh, thanks, RPJ. They were probably able to extrapolate what kind of skin uh, was on it from that new discovery, though. Yeah, but nevertheless, you know, I mean, yeah. retracted. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Perfect. Well done. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that was one of uh, Darren's new uh, cool new toys. Effects. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> or an old toy newly discovered. So what we we should get back to that story. You're, you we should you should tell that story on the air that we were talking about uh, about the gas station and. Uh... Ah, yeah, but that was I think one of the links that my friend Cat Daily Gray provided uh, this Monday. Uh, it was uh, from the Fourteen Times uh, forum, I think. And it was uh, it was written by someone in Sweden. It was very interesting. The the, the story goes that uh, this guy, when he was young, I don't know, like twenty years ago, or something, he was driving with a friend, and they were worried because they were running out of gas, and they were going through a, a very wooded area, where they knew there wasn't a, a gas station uh, for for miles miles ahead, and while we were trying to see if the how how long the car will go running just on fumes they spotted a gas station they had never seen before they go to the inside the little like store in the gas station and the guy finds a weird looking elderly man with a thick hard rimmed glasses and when he asks for for petrol for gasoline, like the guy at first, it seemed like as if he didn't understand uh, what he was talking about. But then you know the guy reacted. He goes out. He uh, gives he gives them uh, fills the tank, so they leave. And at first, uh, the car which was. Uh, uh, bolts back in build was starting to like the, the engine was starting to splutter, you know, not, not running smoothly at all. And the guy was kind of pissed off because he thought that uh, the elderly man in the gas station had given them diesel instead of gasoline. So uh, uh, fortunately, they managed to arrive to the destination and immediately they go to the uh, to a car shop to drain the tank because they thought, well, like I said, that. that the, uh, the the tank was full of diesel, but instead of diesel, they find this like milky type kind of liquid, and they didn't they don't recognize it at all. So, to make a long story short, uh, the guy apparently found out that during the World War Two there was a gas station on that area, and. The, also, the, during those years, there was a scarcity of gasoline in Sweden. So people were using some kind of chemical, uh, in, uh, which will be, uh, which allowed them to run their engines, but uh, it didn't run smoothly. So the whole point of the story is that the guy kind of experienced some kind of weird time slip because when, when he went back there there was no gas station there or no gas station he he tried to find it for many many years when he, he went to the same area and he hasn't find it yet hasn't found it yet glitch in the matrix we're just yeah we're talking to jim elvidge about glitches in the matrix in this episode <laughs> yeah i'm fascinated about, by those kinds of events you know yeah They're gonna be interpreted in so many different ways yeah 
especially when there's something physical to it though like yeah like, uh, yeah hmm. yeah that's a cool story mm-hmm. definitely a cool story the, the kind of the stories that our friends ben and aaron would appreciate for their mysterious universe block yeah fuck did you hear that they were talking about uh the past lives the kid, yeah the past lives and the kids and shit that shit just fucking floors me man yeah listen to it uh today and it was a great interview with this i uh, don't remember the the name of these scientists but you know that kind of research it's something that really should question the current paradigm of uh, the idea that the materialist, the materialistic viewpoint of uh, of life. Yeah, what do you guys think about? Um, sorry to switch topics so quickly, but um, yeah, the, nice segue. The, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, China. The Jade Rabbit. Is that what it's called? The Jade mm-hmm. Rabbit going to the moon? I think it's great. Do you think it's going to make it? When's it get there? Like, must In be a like fortnight. 12 days? That's two weeks. Two weeks. No one's really do talking you, about it. Do you think it's going to make it? Fuck I yeah. have my. I have a feeling. You think so? I have a feeling that the secret space program will knock it down. Oh, yeah, maybe. There's that. <laughs> no, I don't do you, think so. No? You think it's going to make it? Watch we, should, yeah. we should bet. I think that Japan has sent probes to the moon already. Yeah, but one that's going to go 100 meters down, digging, and this one's setting up some sort of fucking telescope, I what think, up there. What if it's a fucking Death Star, man? Just the go moon? Down there and there's a bunch of droids or something. Fuck, or where did I a, hear that recently? Like abandoned about abandoned fucking spaceship. Somebody was talking about that, about the moon. Childress is right all along. <laughs> Well, the fact that the moon is uh, some kind of artificial type of satellite. Yeah, it's yeah, like a spaceship, they... and it's just been dead for millions of years already. And it's... Or it's just pretending to be dead. When when China goes to, to drill down the moon, it's going to ring like a gong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a, mong, a, a moon gong, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Sound just like that. I guess that's what happened years ago when that fucking probe crashed into it, right? Yeah, well, they did it on purpose, right? Did they? Just, yeah. yeah. That'd be like a good ending to your song. Or the or the tale of the Russian probe, the Pobles 2. You, you guys remember that story? I think we mentioned it the first time I was on the Great America show. That's the one that's seen the shadow of the spaceship and then disappeared? Yep. Shadow of the UFO. Yeah, of course. Ephraim, Ephraim had was talking about that in our first episode. Oh yeah, and, and Ephraim is coming back to to the show, right, to talk about his new novel, uh, Alien Cartel, which I'm reading right now. Yeah, I've only I haven't got far into it. I've been so busy with the new baby and all, and works crazy and everything else. The podcast. I've read the first two chapters. But I think Graham's a little farther than that. But the first two chapters were good. So, how, how far have you made it, uh, Red? I think you finished um, it. Uh, it is one hundred and twenty-one pages, and I'm like in the page thirty-one. Oh, okay. So I'm almost I kind uh, of like a third. I'm almost done then. Um, or no, I mean I'm halfway done. I'll be done this weekend. It's actually pretty good. I'm enjoying it. I like the premise. I like the idea yeah. that he's all the, all the different things. taking the cliché. A concept of 
sci-fi lore of the alien who comes down to Earth and says, take me to your leader. Uh, but why should we cons assume that uh, the aliens should care one bit about our concept of uh, government organizations? So why will, should we consider that the first aliens to try to contact like the president of the United States? Why not someone like a a, a drug lord running a, 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 car, a cartel in Colombia? So that is the that is the premise of Ephraim Palermo's novel, and I think that it, 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 it's interesting. You know, the, the thing he's coming up with, you know, uh, it is an uh, an interesting narrative. Just wait, just wait a few pages. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I get a, I should hammer into that this weekend too. I definitely over the holidays I got some time off, so do some reading. But I'm hoping we can have him on either before before Christmas or real shortly after. We'll have him on for uh, for a segment or two and and jump his book, pump his book. But of course, you can get it at Amazon. It's Alien Cartel. Um, I haven't thrown a link for it on the webpage yet. I should do that. I will. Um, but if you're going to buy it on Amazon, of course, go through the Grimerica portal. Yeah, you, you should buy all your Christmas gifts through the Grimerica portal if you have a chance. Yeah, exactly. Christmas is coming, guys. Go, Grimerica, in the portal, order your gifts. It's Amazon. Don't worry. Don't call us if it doesn't show up or if it's shitty. That's not our fault, but. <laughs> and there's no extra no extra charge at all for anybody. It's just that Amazon shaves a little bit off to uh, to whoever sends them there, right? They throw us a little bone. Do you have some kind of choice or list for uh, audible types of holiday kind of reading? Yeah, we still always got our audible trial. Audibletrial.com slash Grimerica. You get a free audio book there. And uh, you got to sign up, give them your info, but um, you sex at dawn, free month. Yeah, sex at dawn would be a good one. You get a free oh, yeah. month, you get a free book, and then if you cancel within thirty days, you keep the book and you never get charged anything. There's, uh, we're gonna have Fred Zimmerman on coming up this week, and he's got four books on Audible, but I don't think it's really Christmas related. That's I don't right. think, I don't think our friend Micah Hanks has in, has, has any book on Audible, right? No. It's tough to find uh, paranormal, and there's quite a bit of conspiracy shit, I guess. But there's not a lot of paranormal audio on there. No, you know what? There's not a lot of conspiracy stuff either. Mm. More mainstream conspiracy stuff. Yeah. That's kind of weird, you know, because it's starting. Like Redfern's starting to push his way in, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that David Weatherly's books will be awesome. On Audible, you know, like yeah, with a good read, narrator. Like, imagine listening to the Black Eyed Kids book with someone you know? doing like the voices and shit. You know what I mean? Like when yeah, exactly. Yeah. You will you will piece your your pants. Maybe some creepy music <laughs> in the background that like comes in like bum and just fucking makes you shit your pants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like you know fucking the... hiking down some trail. Uh, you know what we're good. <laughs> You know what were good audiobooks is all the Star Wars ones. They had all these special effects and little little uh, sounds, like little droning sounds in the background, so it makes you feel like you're on a spaceship. Have you ever oh. listened to those, uh, Red? I remember that when the prequels were starting to be released, were the first one, you know, uh, 
the band of Nenas that here in Mexico, some radio station released the radio version of Star Wars, which was interesting because it had Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker. Other people uh, like Darth Vader and, and others were different voices, but that was nice. So I, I just typed in Star Wars to Audible, and there's like 166 uh, results. So they have loads and loads of the Star Wars books, and they they fucking sound really cool. Mm-hmm. How many Star Trek? How many Trek? Star Trek? <laughs> um, I don't know. Are they? Do they even? Are they even book Star Trek? I don't know. They could be, I suppose. I actually just found I was cleaning out um, one of my storage rooms. My mom had sent some shit from back in the day, and I have some Star Wars Next Generation trading cards mixed in with all my hockey cards. Eighty-seven. Uh, Eighty-seven, uh, yeah. The, Boom, psychi- the psychics of Star Trek: Star Trek Spock versus Q, The Next Generation, Star Trek Probe. Are these audio? Yeah, they are audio books. Into Darkness is there. Star Trek movie novelizations, book two. Star Trek X: The Lost Years. So yeah, lots of cool stuff. Star Wars wins, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As always. Take offense to that, good sir. <laughs> I just watched the new Star Treks the other like. Last week I watched them both. I watched one one night and the other, the other new one the next night. And it's rinse into darkness. I like it. Have you seen it at all yet? Yeah, I saw it on the on, on the theater. It was good, you know. Even though you could spoilers ahead, uh, you could see that uh, the guy was gone from a mile away. You know. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I noticed, I was like, "No shit." Yeah. <laughs> It was good though. It was a pleasant surprise. It was a, an interesting take, you know, the fact that J.J. Uh, Abrams tried to make some kind of uh, comment on the current geopolitical situation, you know, the current take of uh, the war on terrorism and extrapolate that into the Star Trek universe. Uh, I appreciate that. That's, that's one of the things that I like the most about sci-fi because sci-fi is not about it's really not about the future. Sci-fi is about the present, but it's about the present presented in a different way in order to 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 change the perspective the, for the reader. That's why sci-fi was so big uh, during the, the years of the Cold War in in Russia because writers could could really put some very radical ideas during under under writing. On their, on their novels, and if it was on sci-fi, it was, if they were talking about aliens and, 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 and space travel and whatever, all those subversive ideas could pass through the eye of the censorship. And it's, this is happening right now in China. That's why in China, sci-fi books are, are, are becoming increasingly popular. I just read this book about Stalin, and he got all these sci-fi writers together to come up with this plot for aliens to uh, to come to planet Earth, <laughs> and it was crazy. And then they all started getting killed off, and then the plot actually came true. And it was almost like a, a book based on uh, a fiction based on some factual stuff. Like, like you know, you almost got the feeling that Stalin really did that. It was crazy. Well, there's all these uh, rumors and stories and and myths about uh, the Tunguska 
the Tunguska event in 1908 and that Stalin later later on in the 1930s uh, sent some science to investigate and they indeed uh, managed to retrieve the debris from the quote-unquote spacecraft that crashed on the on the Siberian tundra all those years ago. Yeah. There's all those I think that, that that's kind of something that bothers me, you know, how uh, there's not a, not enough information coming from Russia even today about from the ufological side. So like uh, the ufologists in the United States they are not aware of what's happening in Russia, they're not aware of what's happening in China. And I think China right now is is coming is going through a UFO wave, but we're just going to learn about it like 20 years from now. And hmm. they 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 hardly managed to do to get involved with the things that are happening in Latin America. That'd be cool to go to that Tunguska, but who knows? You don't want to get radiation poisoning and die or something either, or something else fucked up happened to you. But I think Russia's pretty <laughs> open. Like if you wanted to go look into crazy shit there i think they're kind of okay with that i mean that that guy on mu a couple weeks ago was there looking into some shit and they seemed like everyone was pretty friendly with him yeah, yeah. paul stonehill's presentation was fascinating at the ufo congress i got that on dvd that was like there's shitload of stuff going on in russia yeah i've listened to paul on a few uh, podcast interviews and he's doing a lot of very interesting and very valuable work i I hope I, if only we could have someone like him uh, doing the same thing with uh, the UFO cases from like Italy, for example, or Brazil. Well, with Brazil, we have this guy. Ah, his name escapes me. AJ Guevara. Exactly. Yeah, AJ Guevara. He is like yeah the number one liaison with Brazilian ufology. Ambassador to mm -hmm. South America. Exactly. South American ufology. Yeah, speaking about international news, I think like right now the top one news of the week was the passing of Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Yeah, that's big news. I'm considering whether to include it to the Red Bills next Sunday. I can't wait to because see that movie. What? Which one? There's one coming out uh, all about his life. Oh, man, there's thousands of movies about his life. Yeah, but... Is there really? I maybe I maybe yeah. I watch an old one. Danny Glover uh, once made a movie about his life, and there's also uh, Invictus with Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and, I've seen that uh, one. Yeah, that was that was that that's one is is really good. And the reason I'm I think that he should be mentioned on the pills is because when I was in my teens, there was still the the apartheid in South Africa, you know, under all these movies uh, portraying how uh, life was on that country with the separation between the white population and the, and the blacks. And it was, you know, appalling. And the fact that in the 90s, this man, this prisoner gets freed <laughs> and immediately he becomes the first uh, black president of his nation and everything changed. So, to me, he's a symbol of that, you know, we're talking about disclosure, we're talking about changing the paradigm regarding, you know, uh, the materialistic 
side of science or society, our society, you know, our consumerist society. To me, he's a symbol that once in a while the paradigm can change. You know. Yeah, things, that's a good point. You yeah, know, but that's I, yeah. So, in case people aren't sure, it's talking about going back and explaining something, but but Red Pill Junkie puts out a weekly Red Pills of the Week at uh, Mysterious Universe. So, check that out. It's got uh, lots of cool stuff in there, and obviously, it's a great website and a great podcast. Yeah, and you can get the there's a Red Pills button right on the Grimerica page, and a Mysterious Universe button as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll be chatting with Jim Elvidge after the break. Um, unfortunately, we're about out of time. I, no, I don't want to say that. Fuck. No, fascinating <laughs> chat, though, with Jim Elvidge. Well, it is late, so we do have to, to uh, wrap it up here. But, but, yeah, Jim Elvidge talks about the simulation theory, like us being in the Matrix, kind of like a computerized uh, reality. Uh, fascinating, blow-your-mind stuff. Hmm. I hope you guys get to ask him my question, the, where the fuck is Morpheus? Because I've been looking for him all my life. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's actually funny. Yeah, that question does get answered, RPG. So I think, yeah. you'll be, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. With us here tonight in uh, Grimerica, we have author Jim Elvidge of The Universe Solved. Um, but first, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, it's pretty good, Darren. I'm, I'm stuck at uh, home here. There's a bit of a blizzard, so we're doing the non-local thing. Yeah, and we'd like to thank Jim for joining us. Uh, maybe, Graham, you want to run his bio down before we get into it, Jim, and for, for people who maybe haven't heard of the book? Yeah, sure. So Jim Elvidge uh, holds a master's degree in electrical engineering from Cornell University. He's applied his training in the high-tech world as a leader in technology and enterprise management, including many years in executive roles for various companies and entrepreneurial ventures. He also holds four patents in digital signal processing and has written articles for publications as diverse as Monitoring Times and uh, IEEE Transactions in Geoscience and Remote Sensing. Beyond the high-tech realm, however, Elvidge has years of experience as a musician, writer, and truth seeker. He merged his technology skills with his love of music, developed one of the first PC-based digital music samplers, and co-founded Radio Amp, the first private label online streaming radio company. For many years, Elvidge has kept pace with the latest research theories and discoveries in the varied fields of subatomic physics, cosmology, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology and the paranormal this unique knowledge base has provided the foundation for his first full-length book as darren mentioned the universe solved 
So uh, it's really great to have you here, Jim. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Darren Graham. It's great to be on the show. Um, geez, I'm just on. I was on your website right now, just playing with your uh, your powers of ten thing here. This thing is great. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of fun to put together. There's quite a few of, of them out there, and, and I made this one a little bit different. It goes uh, a little bit further out, a little bit further in or deep, and you know, it gets a little speculative, and there are actually some kind of reality jumps that you can, you can go to at various, uh, various points. Yeah, yeah, that's neat for sure. It really puts it into perspective. Like when you hear like 10D, even like something like the third or fourth power, people don't realize you know the kind of numbers you're talking about yeah that's true we we have a hard time actually visualizing large numbers i think um they've shown people pictures of like log jams with you know either a thousand logs or ten thousand logs and you know that's a factor of ten different and people usually can't tell the difference between you know a thousand and ten thousand so when, when numbers get big we we just don't it's really hard to grasp um, grasp what they are and that powers of 10 model um, kind of does a, a, a pretty good job of you know giving you a bit of a perspective on how large things can get in this universe and how small they can get so um, I suppose for for the for the beginning here maybe you if you could just give us a quick outline kind of what what uh, your book brings to the table for our listeners that maybe haven't heard of this uh, simulated universe theory before yeah sure um so it's not uh, certainly an original idea i mean we can go back to the movie the matrix where people were living in a simulation and not knowing that's probably the most uh most popular the most well-known example of this idea but it goes further back than that philip k dick uh, talked about it in i think the 70s uh, i believe conrad zeus proposed it in the 60s you know in a paper that he wrote and uh, so you know there have been various kind of um, speculations about whether or not we we could live in a simulation and especially with the advent of the computer world you know back in the 40s and the 50s when computers were these big rooms full of relays and vacuum tubes nobody ever would have thought they, they could build a you know a simulation type of program but as time went on it, it, and, and we started delving into gaming and, and simulating uh, landscapes and things like that, people started putting two and two together and thinking, wow, you know, if, we, if we're getting to the point where we can start to build these uh, simulated worlds and experience sort of a virtual reality at high definition, how do we know we're not already in one? So my book is just sort of an exploration of the evidence. You know, what, you know, and I started writing it actually to uh, uh, pursue something a little bit different than that, but it kind of uh, evolved into this, and I thought it was a better idea. Um, so it's you know just exploring different categories of evidence that are out there, uh, cosmological evidence, uh, evidence from the fields of philosophy, uh, evidence you know in terms of how accurate we we see things, what quantum mechanics tells us, all those kinds of things, and you know, I didn't go up with any at it with any predetermined bias, but what I ended up with was a pretty startling observation, I think, that a lot of the evidence kind of points to the idea that, um, that, that our reality may very well be digital. It looks like it probably is. 
And if it is digital, then wh what does that mean? Where does it come from? Is it running on some mainframe somewhere, or is it much more complex than that? Um, I will say, too, that there are kind of two branches of this idea, and we might call it digital philosophy or digital physics. One branch is that everything is digital all the way down, but it's just deterministic and we're just kind of along for the ride watching everything unfold. The other theory is uh, a, more of a consciousness-driven reality. Now, there are some uh, thinkers out there, some researchers who propose a, a consciousness-based reality without it being digital, but um, you know, my ideas and some of the ideas of some other folks that, that are researching this area um, are seeing that the combination of the two, a consciousness-driven reality, a consciousness-built consciousness reality, and the fact that it's digital, work very, very well together and explain an awful lot of the stuff that's out there that, um, you know, the traditional science wants to ignore because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit in neatly with their theories. So the book, again, is uh, just exploring a lot of that evidence. It doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, who designed it, uh, what the hardware is, or anything like that. It's just exploring evidence that, that we live in a digital reality. And it gets into nanotech, it gets into artificial intelligence, all those kinds of things that are, that are related. I suppose it's possible that, I mean, that that could just be the nature of reality itself is digital. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, 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 it's the, the concept of infinity is a pretty hard concept to deal with. I mean, you can imagine the the largest possible thing that that you could conceive of, conceive of, and then say, well, you know, something that's a zillion times bigger than that, and and then a zillion times bigger than that, and you just keep on going forever, and it, it's just inconceivably large. Well, you would have to if um, if the world is continuous then there is this concept of infinity Infinity is a real concept because that means that you can dive down to arbitrarily huge resolutions. Um, you can look between two points and find an infinite number of points in between those points, and, and, and you can never get to the point where, where you stop. There's no ultimate structure of space. And, you know, I think that's a... That, that, to me, that's a hard concept to, to fathom. It seems to be incredibly inefficient. You know, however the universe was created, it seems like a, you know, kind of a, a, an unlikely uh, outcome. But if, if, on the other hand, you think, well, there's probably something to the idea that there are some limits. I mean, for example, we know that there is a, a speed limit to the universe. Um, that's interesting all by itself. The fact that we have a speed um, a speed limit. Einstein's pro proven that there's a, um, a speed limit at which information can't go faster. That, you know, in, in an infinite universe, that kind of doesn't make sense. We've got, we got a hard limit here, um, and that's, that's an odd thing. Um, you know, and then there, are, if you kind of dive deep into looking at the uh, structure of matter, um, you know, two electrons are supposedly perfectly identical. So there's no deeper structure to an electron, according to current theory anyway. Um, you know, string theorists might say, well, you know, the, the, even though there's no 
distinguishing features between two different electrons, um, it's still not the ultimate bu building block and that these strings are. But then you could make the same argument with them and say, well, a string is a string, and there's no variation between strings. So even our physicists, you know, as far as we go, they all say that things um, stop becoming uh, continuous at some point. Um, at the Planck length or at a, at a particle length or whatever, where, where things are, are now um, discrete in some sense. So in different ways that we look, in, in terms of looking outward, looking inward, looking at speeds, looking at all these kinds of limits, um, we, we kind of infer that there is some finite structure um, to uh, reality, to, to space. Um, quantum mechanics also um, has an awful lot of evidence that, that supports that. Um, and that finite structure means that, that therefore we have some resolution to our space and, and effectively it's discrete, it's digital. I heard you mention something uh, on another show talking about how it's interesting that we're learning more and more about this as we observe it, like actually our, you know, our observing this, these uh, limits uh, end up sort of opening up, you know, windows to, to see that there are, there are no limits or, or we can't see the limits. Yeah, that, that's interesting to me too. We, if you kind of look at the history of what we thought matter was composed of, the ancient Greeks and even into the uh, early 1800s, it was thought that there were these little hard atoms, right? You know, like the, the, the stuff that, that makes up your, your laptop or your desk or whatever were these little tiny, you know, infinitely dense billiard balls. And the only difference between um, different elements were, you know, it was a different kind of billiard ball or whatever. Um, and so, at that point, you, you know, it was thought that, well, in a solid, these things are just jammed together, and so it's pretty much all, you know, that physical stuff. Well, uh, Ernest Rutherford in the, in the early 1900s discovered that, no, um, atoms aren't made of this uh, indivisible, indivisible stuff. They're made of other things. They're made of these little particles, uh, um, electrons and protons, and later on uh, uh, it was discovered that there were neutrons in there too. And most of the atom is empty space. Empty so all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden now everything is really mostly empty space. In other words, there's 10 to the 15th times as much space as there is stuff. And that only lasted so long. You know, 50 years later with uh, quantum chromodynamics, another theory out of the 60s, um, quark theory and things like that, um, it was determined that protons were mostly empty space. And then the string theorists say that even quarks are mostly empty space. And at, at the point we're at now, if you believe what the string theorists say, that we have 10 to the 52nd, um, you know, that's one followed by 52 zeros, worth of space for every one unit of hard stuff that there is. So that'd and, probably be like uh, a solar system for every grain of sand? Yeah, something like that, exactly. So, you know, if that's the case and that's the, the trend keeps on going in the direction of more and, you know, less and less stuff. And so I say, well, let's look at the trend. Where is it going? It's going toward there is no stuff. And that's, to me, an, another example of as we 
as we peel back the onion, as we learn more and more about reality and about matter, um, it's starting to look like matter is just information. Matter is just numbers, um, data, digital. Again, we're back to bits. So there's another angle right there where we're just extrapolating where science is going and kind of thinking about it in a big picture sense leads you to the conclusion that we're probably in a digital world. Wow, that's something I, I can't wrap my head around is is the uh, empty space thing, right? Like the table right here is so hard, it's 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 hard to imagine that it's something about the way those molecules vibrate, or it's something about the way it's put together that makes it hard. Well, yeah, let's let's think about that. So, you know, taking the whole simulation idea off the table for a moment, when when something feels hard, all that's happening is that you know if you're punching it with your fist or tapping it with your fingers, it's the um, electromagnetic charge on the, the, the uh, shell of electrons and the particles at the edges of your fingertips are repelling that same charge in the wood and the table. That's all it is. It's a, it's a repulsive uh, effect of the electromagnetic force. So that's all that makes it feel hard um, is just a force. Well, you know, how does your brain process that? You, you know, you push against something. You can't push any further because um, you don't have the strength in your your muscles, and you know, to to you know push through that that thing. It's just a it's just a question of mathematics, really. You know, is, is there enough force for your hand to push through a desk? Um, no, there isn't. Um, but it's, if you think about what's going on, your brain is processing this stuff. Your brain is, is feeling the sensation um, of the desk. So it could be that there are just some rules there that deep down the desk is data, your fingertips are data, and the rule is when one hunk of matter touches another hunk of matter, um, you know, based on the solidness of them or whatever, uh, they they can't penetrate, and so you're going to get that that hard sensation that comes back to your brain and gets processed by your brain, also in terms of bits, and you know, and, and this whole sensation of something being hard could be that could be generated in a in a simulated environment too. So, what we experience, what we see, what we hear, what we what we feel, um, and there's another example. You listen to your your CD. Is all just digital, um, even though it's it's converted into into waves that vibrate some element in your in your headphones or or your speakers or whatever. Um, but but bits can do amazing things. Is I guess is what I'm saying is you know the the rules and how they they react with each other um, are what we actually experience. Hmm. That's fascinating. Go ahead, Darren. And maybe that's, you know, that would almost seem like why our evolution seems to drive us to create, you know, the same, almost the same technology that could be driving us. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating idea. Um, and a lot of people have explored that concept of sort of uh, fractal uh, processes, Tom Campbell and uh, Stephen Kaufman and others. Um, you know, and, and it's it's the idea that the the, the sort of, Structures of behavior, the structures of processes, the you know the way the way things work, look similar at different levels of granularity. So, 
Um, take a cell, for example. It, cells have these gene regulatory networks that look like schematic diagrams, like electrical schematic diagrams. They have logic gates and all kinds of crazy things like that. Um, you know, and we, we develop electrical circuits cells that do? way. Yes, uh, cells do. Huh. Um, in, in fact, some people have inferred from that that, the, that there's uh, some um, intelligence behind the design of, of cells, and, and that's certainly open to debate, but it's an interesting idea. Um, Michael uh, Behe, I think, is, is one of the, the, the people who uh, has put that idea forth. But, um, you know, the the point is that we see these patterns at different levels. I mean, I think you've probably even seen the galaxy yeah the deep space imagery where they they put together what the structures of of space are and it's kind of funny there there are all these filaments and little clumps of stuff and and uh when i when i make french toast and i i put um uh, cinnamon and egg and some uh, vanilla extract together and mix it up i I always look at it and say man that looks like those images that i see of deep space Or even, so, or even the galaxies that look like, uh, you know, a seashell or like have that Fibonacci sequence, it seems like it's... Exactly. Uh, so, so why is that? Well, you know, why would we have this fractal type of pattern at all these different, different levels? Uh, well, the speculation is, you know, in some of the researchers that I mentioned before, that there's some fundamental process that drives a lot of things. And that fundamental process may be something like... Um, you know, given given the choice between a couple of options, we take the profitable choice. We take the thing that gives us the most uh, the most benefit. But we make mistakes, um, and evolution makes mistakes, and atoms make mistakes, and they learn from those mistakes. And when I say learn, it's not learning in the sense of humans learning, but it's not not doing the same thing be, because those are dead ends. You know, the, the, the failure paths stop because they're dead ends and the success paths go on. So that there's some math there. And the, the math seems to create patterns at um, all different kind of levels of, of reality. Hmm. So how has your how has your book been received? Did did it do? Um, was it like you expected it to be? Or t- tell tell us a bit about um, you know after it came out and and your your journey kind of uh, looking at this after three or four years or actually five years now I guess yeah or even sure, really yeah. blowback um, yeah a little bit like um, the 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 first time that I did uh, a, a large radio show I I got some. I got some hate mail for being a, um, uh, I don't know, you know, somebody who is sort of implying that, implying that everything is mechanistic and, um, you know, and, and, and that wasn't the point of the book at all. And, and so they, I think they, they didn't get that. That all kind of went away. Um, most, I'd say probably 99% of all the emails that I get and all the contacts that I get are really positive. Um, and I've, kind of developed a, a nice community of, of individuals who are physicists or researchers or uh, psychiatrists or, or whatever um, that who, whose interest overlaps this, um, this this interest of mine and so it's we share ideas and you know it's actually it's actually really uh, really fun and interesting and it, it took off more than I expected it to um, I had no idea when I wrote the book that, I mean, it certainly wasn't 
like a New York Times bestseller or anything, um, but it has a bit of a, a cult following, certainly. And um, I keep I've been doing uh, talk radio for for five years now, and uh, doesn't seem to be letting up. And you're and you're not getting bored of it yet? No, not really, because. Uh, you know, I, I keep on researching stuff, and I've got I've, I've probably written a couple of books worth of blogs, and I've got a couple books in my head, and in uh, a lot of material written down, and uh, I've written some articles. I'm writing an article for another, or a, a chapter for for another uh, a futurist book. It's coming out next next year. So there's so many different different directions to take this in, and uh, and just recently I started exploring. Um, in depth, the idea of uh, finite structures that we talked about earlier about, you know, really what is the physics behind whether or not there could be um, an infinite resolution versus not an infinite resolution. And, um, you know, that's just kind of one aspect of this whole thing. So, yeah, it, it's just taken, taken a life of its own. Um, on the more spiritual side, the consciousness-driven world is... is really fascinating too it kind of implies that there's a bigger picture out there that we're than what we're uh, normally aware of and that starts to kind of lead over into uh spiritual uh, side of things so you know we're melding digital and spiritual and it's that's really kind of a, a fascinating mix I have lots of questions about that for sure, but um, about uh, what about other changes that you've um, encountered since in in your in your thinking or in your in your theory since since the book came out? Any other recent ones besides the sort of infinity type one you're working on? Yeah, I'd say um, to to be fair, you know, I think when I wrote the book, I. I, I tended to think more in, along the lines of um, that there was a you know kind of a simulation, a more traditional type of simulation of the kind that Nick Bostrom talked about, a post-human simula simulation, and whether it was generated by us in the future or generated by some other intelligent entity or or, or whatever. Um, I was kind of agnostic to that, but well, one of the the, the different ideas that I, I learned from Tom Campbell is the idea that um, the reality may be more of a, uh, a system, and, and it's a system that evolved on its own. So when you talk about intelligence, the, the system itself is intelligent because of the way it's evolving, but it doesn't necessarily imply, you know, some god with a big big white beard or some alien somewhere who's who's uh you know running a simulation that we're playing part in or even us in the future it's a whole different thing it's a um it's an an ai really like a self-creating system. system yeah we're just yeah, exactly we're just some uh some little handheld video game for some super civilization <laughs> so where does time fit into that like so, like, would our civilization have to start, say, whatever, 13 billion years ago, or does it just fucking jump in anywhere and we don't really know the difference? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, theoretically, I mean, I think there's this concept called last Thursdayism, which which says that the universe could have started last Thursday. And <laughs> I, I tend to think that that's probably I not knew the it. case. 
but <laughs> it theoretically it could be. I mean, when you when you boot up a, a video game um, and and play it, you're instantiating the game with a set of data um, in an in initial state, and then you play from then on. Um, and if you're interacting with this game, if it's a very rich game, you can start playing and you know not know that there was zero history before a, a certain point. Now, people will say, well, how could that be the case with us? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I, re, you know, I, had, I, had, I had a father, and, and my father remembered when he was a kid, and he had a father, and blah, 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 and you, you know, go back forever, so when did it really start? Um, well, th- theoretically, again, and, and this is just kind of philosophical, it, it, it could have started at any point because the, um, all you need to do is have a self-consistent set of artifacts imposed on the reality, which includes memories in your brain, memories in the other sentient entities that you interact with, things in libraries that, you know, uh, things on the internet, whatever it is, a sufficiently intelligent entity that can create a simulation could certainly create a starting point like that. So, um, you know, or or think about this idea, you know, we're we're at some point in the future and we want to run some fantasy simulation, you can probably imagine all kinds of fun things that you might want to do when we get like really cool uh, virtual reality. So, you know, you put on the goggles or you, you, you know, put the matrix type probe in your head and, and all that kind of thing. And well, you have to do something about your memories because you remember something before when it starts. Well, researchers these days are experimenting a lot with destroying memories, saving memories, implanting artificial memories into mice and and other animals and mammals. Um, So it's just a matter of time before that can be done with humans. So theoretically, you could, you know, you're uh, 20, uh, 2040 or whatever, you could say, um, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to put the probe in my head, and I'm going to uh, erase all my memories and and save them off somewhere. And then when I'm done with my simulation, just load them back in. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. C- certainly possible. I wonder and, what and, kind of fucking crazy, like, neurological problems that could bring along. <laughs> <laughs> like, I well, wonder if that, I guess, I, I wonder if it would come with a hangover, like a fifth of scotch would. Same effect, I suppose. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the thing I always think about is those experiments that they did on rats where they, they had a, um, a probe in their brain that stimulated the pleasure center and it was attached to a little paddle. And the other paddle that the rat had access to would give it a little morsel of food. And the rat just sat there hitting the pleasure paddle until it died of starvation. <laughs> oh, <Atta> boy. <laughs> Fuck, what, what, we were talking about my. Didn't they do some other crazy shit with Amos's memory? Who were we talking to? Like, ah, oh, that's gonna bother me. I think it now. was. I think it was Grant Cameron, and we were talking about how um, the memories. It's like genetic memory in mice, or the memory is transferred through the morphic uh, field. Yeah, they could do the simulator or some some something. I can't remember. Yeah. So so mice born in a different continent had learned somehow to perform this uh, obstacle course just through uh what they're supposing is some sort of you know downloading of some sort of genetic memory from them from the field yeah and you know what's what's really interesting to me about that is that 
10 years ago, if you had said something like that or mentioned <laughs> something like, uh, uh, you know, DNA carrying uh, information from your from your your past and and not just genetic information or the hundredth monkey effect or any of these yeah, kinds yeah. of things you would have gotten laughed at but but today now they're doing experiments that are showing that these kinds of things happen and so all it does is show that our reality is not what materialist reductionist scientists say it is it's not this mechanistic deterministic system it's much much more interesting than that Mm. I wonder, so, go ahead, so, uh, I wonder where. Um, <coughs> oh, I lost my train of thought now. I wonder where. Um, oh, here I'll get it back. I want to get into the spiritual part there. So, um, so how does the all this evidence now for out of body experiences and near death experiences and kind of you know the soul being separate from our physical body? How does the duality of consciousness play in with your theory? Well, um, it, 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 it plays in, in, in the following way. If, if you think of our, this reality construct that we're talking about as being digital way, way down, um, we're playing out some, some aspect of it. We're, we're in some sort of uh, simulation. And what's beyond that simulation then that simulation is is running effectively on some kind of of system well what's you know what's in that system and it could could it be running other simulations so then you start thinking about well there are probably other entities out there in other parallel realms um therefore our realm can't be all that there is and that's a very spiritual thought right by itself yeah. The other aspect of this is the, you know, the so-called observer effect in quantum mechanics. And this has been... That shit's crazy. Oh, you know, it's been proven um, to very high degrees of accuracy, like 80 orders of magnitude kind of degrees, that reality doesn't really exist unless you observe it. Now, we we don't notice that at the macroscopic level and we see um, a blue car drive by and you talk to your neighbor and they say, yeah, I saw a blue car. We saw the same car. We saw a Chevy or whatever it was. Um, that's called a consensus. Uh, the two of you have seen the same thing and therefore you feel that that experience that you just had watching the car go by was in some way more real than if you had just close your eyes and daydreamed a car driving by, or if you had a, had a dream of a car going by, right? So the only difference between the dream and the, the physical reality experience is consensus. It's the fact that other people are observing the same thing. Well, consensus is something that can happen in a computer program as well. It happens all the time in a, um, in a massively multiplayer online role-playing game where people see the same monsters or the same, you know, boat or whatever it is that, that's an artifact in that game. Now, people can be programmed to see slightly different things, too. If you have um, a high level of spiritual points, you may be able to see the aura around people, and you can tell whether they're bad or evil. You know, and that can all be programmed into the game. And, well, lo and behold, we, we experience the similar kinds of things here. There are people who see ours and people who don't. So, you know, the 
the similarities between how we're modeling things in software and how things appear to be in reality are incredible. And this, this quantum observer effect um, really almost puts a, a, you know, a nail in the coffin of deterministic reality because it's, what it's showing is that when you get really right down to the point where things are kind of discrete, um, your observation actually makes, makes a choice. It makes it happen. And I, I did this blog recently on something called the quantum Zeno effect. And this has been proven in, in research labs. And what it is is if you can put a set of, say, particles or some strange structure of matter into some state, and it normally, from that state, it will on its own, say, decay into a different state at a certain rate. If you take measurements of that thing, as it's you know, as it's as the state is going on, it doesn't decay, or it decays slower or faster, depending on the measure, the way you take measurements. So, it's it's telling us that what we what we observe with our consciousness is really changing physical reality. So that means that our consciousness has to be um, outside of physical reality. Otherwise, it couldn't change it, right? So, so that's a very spiritual thought too. So, you know, the two ideas there that that uh, you know the consciousness creates reality, um, and you know the idea that there are parallel realities, you know, is, are two very big spiritual ideas. That there's a, a much larger, you know, all that there is out there. I guess so, we'll know for sure if our if our you know if our Google and whatever and you know a hundred years starts. I don't know. How would you know if? How would you know if little parts of your computer were becoming self-aware? You know, that's that's always a question that the AI guys um, muse about. And one of the things that I have found kind of interesting is that it it hasn't happened. That we've actually built hardware that is as powerful, say, as a mouse brain or a cat brain or something like that but it doesn't appear to have suddenly become sentient. And the internet has as many nodes as our brain has neurons, but it doesn't seem to have become sentient yet. And I think yet. the reason for that is, is that sentience is our consciousness um, effectively occupying, and when I say effectively, it's you know it, because if we are in this digital simulation, it's not really occupying it, um, but you know, effectively you, utilizing a model of a, of a physical self, a body, um, and a brain to instantiate itself in um, to, uh, you know, to, to experience reality. So could a consciousness jump into the Internet and experience reality? Maybe. Maybe, maybe once it gets large enough, but it doesn't mean that it's coming from the Internet itself. It means that I, as a consciousness, want to experience what it's like to be the Internet. So I'm going to, um, you know, perhaps uh, occupy that. Whoa. That wow. Would, that would, yeah. You'd probably never recover from that. Just be the that Internet would, for a day. Jeez. That would be yeah, so stuck. <laughs> would be Somebody so... would hack you and you'd never get out. <laughs>
I wonder if we're like humans, even in general, would fit into that. Like, if we would be, you know, the 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 reason for the simulation, or if we're just some sort of weird little fucking thing that's happening because of the you know the simulation itself, and we're just kind of you know something that wasn't even planned for, maybe even a virus. Well, the the and this is where we we get into like a, a real different realm, and it's a realm that I like and. Um, it, it just feels right. It kind of fits a lot of the evidence. The evidence is things like um, past life regressions that can't be explained, uh, out-of-body experiences that can't otherwise be explained, near-death experiences, paranormal experiences. All, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, leads you to a, a similar conclusion. Um, shamanic rituals you know ritualistic drumming that that drives people to experience the exact same thing and what do they all say they all say oh well we after we die we go on and we meet some spirit guides and then we design our next life and we come back uh, to learn more to uh um you know to improve our our consciousness level to uh, improve our wisdom and we keep on we keep on doing that to get rid of our flaws we keep on perfecting and it's this fractal thing that we talked about in the beginning it's a constant drive for improvement of our uh, of our digital self or digital consciousness so do you think then that the, the essence or our soul for lack of a better word or energy is just a different level within the within the simulation compared to our physical body kind of yeah I, I think that's a that's a good way of putting it I think that makes sense <laughs> you know the, the the physical body is is like like a construct it's like it's like bits let's let's use the analogy of a um uh, a, a circuit board in a in a radio or something by itself those those transistors and capacitors and resistors and those things they don't do anything but when somebody designs them and applies some energy to them they do you know amazing things so um those those are like the the physical the physical bits, the physical reality um, stuff that we're interacting with, the you know our consciousness is more like the energy that infuses that. Mm. So when you're talking about the observer effect, it kind of made me think of uh, the law of attraction, right? Like, um, and the whole <clears throat> spiritual aspect around that of of uh, maybe visualizing yourself uh, in a different, uh, you know what I mean? Like a yeah in a different level of awareness or whatever and, and the physics of intention and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense in that way too, right? If you have the ability to change your thoughts and, and your emotion and manipulate the physics, the quantum physics around you. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you've got it. I mean, because if, if our observation and our intent, as it has been shown, can influence the outcome of quantum level experiments, then it could certainly influence, you know, the outcome of neural pathways in our in our in our brain, and so we can, through intent, um, visual visualize ourselves to become better at something or to, uh, you know, get over a phobia or whatever whatever it is. You know, it's just it's just kind of stepping out of that feeling of, hey, I'm just going along for a ride and I have no control into realizing I have control 
over this reality because it's digital and I'm in control. I'm the consciousness. I'm I'm the guy at the helm that that can that can make all this stuff happen. The reason we don't normally think of that is because we're built not to think of that. You know, we we live in this. And I and I say this as if it's true, and it, you know, there's no proof other than personal experience, I suppose. Um, but you know, if these theories are true, you know, we you know, we, we live in, in this experience and we can, you know, we can interact with it and we can control it. So, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Hmm. So there's a couple anomalies that we hear about. We listen to all these crazy podcasts and stuff like that. And people talking about their experience with like time slips. I don't know if you ever heard of that or, um, or even like the odds effect when something, you know, when before some sort of event happens and everything goes like quiet and slows right down, like, do you think that that's something like a glitch in the matrix? Like that's usually what we call it amongst ourselves. Like, ah, oh, it's a glitch in the matrix, but it's funny. You just say it in a, in a, you know, in a comical way, like you call it the glitch in the matrix, but according to your theory, that's kind of what it could be. Yeah, it could be. I mean, you know, if, if what our if what our consciousness is doing is um, you know processing a lot of bits and for whatever reason it slows down the bit stream for a while um, then then time will appear to actually I suppose if it speeds up the bit stream time would appear to slow down um, and and maybe there are reasons why it does that maybe because you have to absorb more information because of the extremely stressful situation that you're in and then that information can only get processed by your consciousness so fast so therefore it, it appears to slow down as you're pulling in all the information it's kind of like you know fitting too many bits through a narrow pipe you know if you try to you know download too many files and you only have so much bandwidth coming to your uh, to your router um, it's all going to it's all going to funnel in. It's going to take hmm. longer for the stuff to get there. So it could be something like that. So how do you how do you test it? Like how do we find out one day that oh bam it is a simulation? Well, one of the one of the tests that that people are looking at, um, Craig Hogan from Fermilab is one of the guys looking at things like this. Is building a um, building a detector that will detect something different in the the uh, orientation of of waves coming from deep space so you know it's kind of hard to observe the structure of something when it's very close to you but if something has traveled through say a grid or a lattice 13 billion light years then that lattice may actually have a little bit of an effect on it. You know, it'll it'll prefer certain directions of propagation of of the wave, for example, or of the matter. Um, so, the theory is then that if you are able to look at something that is very strong that happens very far away, like a gamma ray burst, that you could actually determine whether or not um, uh, reality is granular. So they've done some of this, and they've determined that it is um, not granular above, I don't know, 10 to the minus 20th uh, meters or so, something like that, something above the Planck length. The Planck length is this, um, you know, sort of a, a quantum limit of 10 to the minus 35 meters. So, so there are experiments that they're 
putting together to help determine whether or not um, things are discrete or not. Um, there was also an interesting experiment, uh, not experiment, it was uh, something that happened in the gravitational gravity wave detector in Germany called, I think it's called Geo 600. It's um, deep underground and it's supposed to te detect gravity waves coming from like distant black hole collisions or whatever. And what they found, and so it's this super, super sensitive piece of equipment that can detect things that are very, very small uh, perturbations in space-time. And what, it, what they found is that it has this noise in it. And the shape of the noise, and the shape, like the spectral shape of the noise, resembles the spectral shape of quantization noise. When you quantize um, a sound, like you, you, uh, you, you digitize it, as, as is done to put onto a, a DVD or something, mm. or a CD. When you quantize it, it's not a perfect reproduction of that sound. And the what's not perfect about it is a little bit of noise. And the shape of that noise resembles the shape of this noise that they're seeing in the detector. So oh. they call it quantization noise. Now, they're, they're trying to now do some further experiments to determine whether or not... Um, it really is quantization noise or whether it came from something else. But so, so here are some, those are some examples of ways that science um, can actually do some tests to determine whether or not this is, uh, this is a digital reality. Now, I would, I would caveat it and say I've, I've seen some physics forums that, that say, well, it's already been disproven that uh, the, the world is definitely not a simulation because this you know, particular experiment showed that there was no discrete nature to the to reality below or above 10 to the minus 21st meters or whatever it is. That doesn't prove anything. All it proves is that the granularity has to be below that level. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's one of those unfortunate things that nobody can conclude that we live in a continuous reality, but they they can conclude that we live in a discrete one if the test is, is uh, detailed enough. Huh. That's fascinating. What was that uh, device that was doing that measuring again called? I think it was Geo 600. <clears throat> and then what so next? There... I guess we try and contact the contact whoever's running it? Yeah, and, and that was, well, that was the, the gravity wave detector. The, the other one is, um, uh, I think, it, I, I don't know what he calls it, uh, Craig Hogan from Fermilab is, is the guy designing something. I think there's a whole website devoted to it, and I'm not, I don't think it's, it's uh, maybe it's another year or two before they, they get it done, but they're trying to also um, assess whether there's some directionality to propagation of waves due to the discrete nature of reality. <laughs> Darren, is that, is that what you meant, or did you, did you mean uh, contact who's running this whole simulation? Who's running the simulation, that's what I want to <laughs> Oh, yeah, the architect, right? Yeah, the, ar <laughs> the architect. The great, the great architect. <laughs> yeah. So what's your thought on that? Is it, is, it a, is it an advanced civilization? Is it a system that's uh, self-creating and ev evolving? Or is it a, a god, or is it all the same? Um. I kind of like the the system, the self-creating and evolving system. Um, uh, to Tom Campbell's theory, I, I think it's a good theory, and uh, it, it rings true for a number of reasons. I haven't, I, I guess, I haven't like um, done the 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 sort of uh, science behind it where you would say um, 
it's more likely that that theory predicts these things than mm-hmm. this theory would predict these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is some science to, like, if you were to look at, say, rock strata that happened uh, millions or hundreds of millions of years ago, um, obviously we can't prove what happened there. Was there a volcano? Was there this? Was there that? And so you you have hypotheses that could explain it, and you have to look for the thing that gives the best explanation, and you can do that by, um, you know, probabilities and, and so forth. So, yeah, some, someday somebody might be able to put together a probability model of how our reality would be if it were a system versus it were run by aliens versus run by uh, an AI versus run by us in the future. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think there's, there's probably some clues that already maybe jump out. Like if we were in the future, would we really want to go back, you know, 40, 50 years and run some kind of mundane existence? Um, that just doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know, what's, yeah. what's the purpose of that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the matrix, the purpose was to keep, keep humans under control. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of think that it, it does seem like there's some evolution going on in humanity that as, you know, if you, if you believe in reincarnation, as I, I tend to, um, over the years, we be, do become a little bit more evolved. I mean, I think there are four countries now that have um, uh, outlawed um, keeping uh, dolphins in, in captivity because they recognize the, the intelligence and the sentience of, of the dolphin. That's evolved thinking. We, nobody would have thought of that 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, the murder rate has gone down by, I don't know, a factor of 100 or 1,000 since the Middle Ages in Europe. So like it or not, as ugly as, as things are on the 10 o'clock news, we, we do seem to be evolving as a species in the long term. And that could very well be because we learn from our uh, experience here in our lives and we uh, take that, those values that we get and the, the improvements to our consciousness, we take them back and we retain those the next time around but have new experiences. Um, that's all possible. See, I would look at it more from the angle that, like, if if we're in a simulation, there there's got to be said amount of memory or whatever you want to call it that's allocated to running fucking Graham, for example. And so when <laughs> lots, lots so of when, when Graham dies, all that memory gets the system just naturally takes all that energy and you know throws it into a bunch more people. So it's almost like reincarnation, but more like there's just little bits of gram all over and as opposed to a whole new gram. Well, there, there does seem to be some continuity of consciousness. I mean, our bodies actually regenerate every, every few years. And, uh, and I don't fully understand the following, but I have read that, um, at the particle level, you know, at the kind of quark level, they all regenerate. So the, the, physical matter that makes up our bodies supposedly um, is completely different than it was seconds ago. Hmm. You know, in, in, in subatomic physics, you know, it, it, you know, the decays and things and the regenerations of quarks, I'm talking way beyond what I know. This is just something that I, that I read. Um, but if it's true, our bodies are really not the same as they were a couple seconds ago. And yet we have this um, 
continuity of consciousness or this apparent continuity of consciousness. And so people who have past life experiences or, uh, you know, near death experiences or whatever also give evidence for continuity of consciousness. So it's not like when we die, um, it goes back into the system as bits and a new gram is created. Gram, the consciousness, um, appears to live on. Hmm. Wow. I, ha- I have a, actually, I have one blog that, that references hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of papers that lend evidence to this idea. Um, most hardcore scientists would kind of laugh at it, but there's really a lot of evidence out there that, that supports the idea if you're open-minded about it. Mm. Have you ever heard of concurrent lifetimes or like this has come up a couple times with us since we've been doing this where um, if you take time and space out of the equation and you look at past lives and future lives and concurrent lives that you're living all your lives at basically at the same time? Yeah, and, and you know, I haven't really kind of grokked that completely yet. Um, you know, the I know I know Tom Campbell's view on this is more that in you can run an experience in you know any kind of sort of past life type experience that you want, but if you do that, you may be running it with models of the sentient entities. So your experience of running concurrent lives in different time frames, there, there's really only one that is real in the sense of all the other entities there also um, being sentient. So I don't fully um, mm. know enough about that or, or have thought enough about that, you know, philosophically to, to kind of think figure out whether whether that makes sense or yeah yeah that's a that's a i can't really wrap my head around that one either it's just yeah (laughs) so um let's see here has has anything have you experienced anything strange like we talk about ufos a lot on this and i noticed on your website you you mentioned you know like ets and ufos and all kinds of stuff like that not that i put those two together because i think there's a a lot of different uh explanations you know available for what's going on in the skies but have you had any strange uh spiritual or ufos or any kind of experiences like that um no not in the ufo front and i don't uh, i don't deny any of that I, I i think that it's kind of unfortunate sometimes that you have uh, millions of people that'll experience something or hundreds or thousands or whatever it is and and that you just blindly say uh, no they're all crazy um, <laughs> and, until you experience it yourself I think yeah. that's an unfortunate aspect of humanity yeah but so no I haven't um, I, I think the you know the digital reality model the programmed reality model provides a great explanation for that that you know these things can be artifacts that are you know, easily generated within the program. There, you know, people say, well, they they can't be flying objects because of the 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 U-turn that they made or the right turn that they made. Well, they're just an artifact in the program. Um, you know, they they can be made to do anything. Uh, so, I I don't uh, you know I don't just discount them. And I think the the programmed reality model actually provides really good explanations for a lot of uh, paranormal um, experiences. Me, myself, um, I have had some uh, interesting, shall we say, lucid dreams slash out-of-body experience. Oh, I was going to ask you about lucid dreaming. Okay. Yep. And um, 
I, I meditate and uh, I've listened to uh, Robert Monroe's uh, Gateway series, which uh, you know kind of kind of puts you into some interesting states of consciousness. And oh um, yeah, as a result of that, I I have had some pretty cool experiences. So um, still trying to wrap my head around what they were, <laughs> but um, I was definitely in control and I definitely had the the precursor. Um, uh, signs that uh, always seem to lead to these things, and I've read enough uh, accounts from other people to understand what to do in certain circumstances. And so the next time I have one, I'll be able to improve the experience a little bit, and you know, keep on uh, keep on going forward that way. Where do uh, things like psychedelics and and even meditation, like you were just talking about, and the alteration of of consciousness fit into the simulation? So I, th I think meditation, uh, if you can clear your mind, um, you're, you're getting much closer to your true consciousness. If your consciousness is outside of your body, um, clearing your mind, getting rid of that stuff that's spinning around in your brain, then, then you're, you're actually you know, much closer to, to consciousness. So I think that's why meditation works so well. It's, it's all about clearing your mind. And psychedelics too, Darren. I remember those studies are coming out now showing that they're actually slowing your brain down a little bit too, right? Or I don't know if that's the right term, but so the the psychedelics seem to, you know, I, I guess I don't want to, you know, I don't know enough about this, but I I would say from what I've read, it it, it appears that the brain has a lot of filtering capability into it that it's. In order for us to have this consensus reality and to experience things and be in this, you know, what some people call learning lab of life that we're in, we have to not be able to hear what other people are thinking. You know, otherwise we'd be overwhelmed. And we have to not, you know, be able to be 10 places at one time. We have to be able to focus. So our minds, our brains have built into them. Um, you know, ways of filtering this data in such a way that we retain a very kind of lonely personal existence. We're, you know, we're a bit wrapped up in, in ourselves. Um, what psychedelics may be doing is disrupting that, that filtering and getting you to, um, you know, connect to others or connect to the greater reality um, in different ways. And I've read some of like Strassman's work on DMT that where uh, a, a lot of the patients who uh, he experimented with when they received the right dosage, they suddenly felt that they experienced a reality that was um, just as real or more real than their normal traditional reality. Um, and then boom, they went, went right back to it. It was almost like it opened up the ability to experience that, and boom, back back came the filter. Like you know, okay, now you're stuck watching uh, Channel Three again. Yeah, yeah I've hard. noticed. It's... I've noticed from my experience that, like, even on mushrooms, you notice, like, I'll notice a sense of disembodiment, and even it does seem sometimes like it takes a filter off that. Like, it almost seems like you can see vibrations. Like, you can see that everything's moving. Like, it actually probably is in reality, but it's some sort of filter that that's kind of stopping us from being able to see it. Yeah, and, and, and the brain is complex enough that we, we don't really understand it 
very well yet, but these things, uh, these, uh, these are ancient, um, ancient medicines and, uh, ancient spiritual medicines. They, they appear to do something, um, to the brain that allows us to, you know, step out of our, our ordinary existence. Even the lucid dreaming to me can be so real. Um, I haven't, uh, I've tried, I tried it like about a year ago. I was trying to do it and um, I'm going to sort of reinstigate that whole, my whole lucid dreaming effort, but it, it almost feels like we're somehow connected to through that. Yeah, it does. And I, I did do a, a little uh, blog on different states of reality and, and thinking about this in the sense of what we were talking about before the consensus that. On the one hand, you've got these, this real high consensus type physical reality that you go about day to day. You know, you go out and drive in the car and go to the store and things like that. And then you have this very, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, where daydreaming is or dreaming, individual uh, dreaming, there's no consensus at all. Um, but then in the middle, you've got things like mutual lucid dreaming, or you maybe have some out-of-body experiences where you interact with people that um, that corroborate that you interacted with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so there's, there's this whole spectrum of consensus. On the one hand, it's the, the physical reality stuff. On the other hand, it's dreaming. And then there's this other, you know, this big area in between of mutual lucid dreaming and OBEs and things like that mm. that, uh, that we can move into. And you wrote about that. You've got a blog on that one specifically? I do, yep. Oh, okay. Yep. What, what is that? Just so I think it's like called it. the consciousness reality spectrum or the and consensus reality. Is that on your website? It's on the website. Okay. There's a Jim's blog tab there. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a great website, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So I, got, I do have another question then about uh, research. Like you, t you were talking about some of the sort of leading edge research. Is there, is there any research right now that you're, I mean, you're obviously on top of a lot of this stuff that's really kind of knocking your socks off? Well, the, 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 my most recent blog was on the quantum Zeno effect, and <clears throat> I, I kind of have this, I guess you might say, a little arrogant uh, or obnoxious habit of attempting to solve every quantum mechanics anomaly through um, programmed reality theory by actually <laughs> writing code. Um, I, I write a little snippet of pseudocode that explains entanglement or that explains the observer effect or it explains quantum Zeno, and I've done this with like a half a dozen of these anomalies that, that everybody else is scratching their head about and it's just really easy to program that <laughs> yeah you've actually so, created your own little robot on the website too yeah it's not mine there's a um it's a uh it, it reaches into um some computer space in uh, in israel there's an ai company there and i haven't I haven't even checked in on it for a while um it uh Everybody who who interacts with it, I call we call it Morpheus. Um, everybody who interacts with it, supposedly, the this little chat bot, what they call it, would learn, and so you could tell it a joke, and then it would learn the joke. And I've I found it to be a little bit um, unpredictable. Like there are some things that it seems to learn, like it has developed a bit of a racist language, <laughs> <laughs> which which is kind of unfortunate, but. Um, you know, but it, but it, you know, hasn't learned other things that I've, I've, I've tried to teach it. So I don't, you know, it's, it's a little old now. It's been around for five years. There's probably some other ones out there. I should probably put a couple other up there that people are going to experiment with, but it is kind of fun. You can have a conversation with it. And I, I put a poll on the site to see, um, what people thought 
the IQ of this chat bot was, um, with the average human IQ being 100, what did they think it was? And the average turned out to be about 70. So, um, you know, people think that it, it has some, you know, it, it seems somewhat intelligent. I know people that don't have that IQ. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's funny because... I know, um, I know people in Congress that don't have yeah. that IQ. <laughs> it's funny because uh, a fellow, one of our, our regulars here on the show, Red Pill Junkie, um, tweeted, I, I think he was saying it just as a joke, but uh, his question was, where the hell can he find Morpheus? So, RPJ, you can find Morpheus right at uh, theuniversesolved.com. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he's not uh, not quite as uh, as creative as the Matrix Mor Morpheus, though. And he's a bit of a bigot. And he is. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you planning on any other books, anything like that? What's coming up in your in your uh, future, Jim? Well, uh, like I said, next year I'm, I'm writing this chapter for um, uh, for another uh, another book, but uh, I, I do sort of have in mind. A couple of things, and I'm not sure whether I will merge them together. Um, you know, and one one will be sort of, uh, you know, basically taking taking this, uh, you know, kind of to to the next level. Um, you know, more more evidence that that uh, there was five years ago, what it really means, um, synthesizing all the, making sense of all the different kind of digital philosophy ideas that are out there. Um, and I have, uh, I have some other ideas for some, I think, some kind of impactful arguments for this. So um, it's, it's just in the kind of uh, ruminating stage, I would say, at this point. So I've just spent a lot of time with the, with the blogs and, and forums and things. Before, before we let you go, I've got to ask, where, where, do, where, does the whole, where do you sit on the whole transhumanist movement? And where, where does that, like it would seem, it would almost be a natural fit in a simulated reality. Yeah, it's actually not. Um, you know, it, it 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 might be in some sense of the simulated reality. This idea that your your consciousness can somehow be uploaded or whatever. But I think the whole transhumanist idea, the whole idea of living forever and doing you know everything that you can to retain your consciousness is based on fear it's based on fear of death and i don't fear death you know i i believe that our consciousness is already you know continuous it's already immortal so what, what do i need to put it on silicon for um you know i i think there's a much more hopeful and interesting reality out there awaiting me when i die than what the transhumanists are trying to do yeah that's interesting it seems like it must be possible to cheat death in a simulation, though, no? Um, yeah, but I guess, why would you want to? You yeah, know, I, if, I don't know. I, I don't say that I'd want to, for sure, yeah. but I guess you just, maybe people are hacking the system already. That's how they get rich. Yes, I mean, there, there could be rules, too. Like, one of the things, and I haven't, I haven't done a blog on this yet, but it's, it, it's sort of in, in my head, if you, if you kind of imagine how we learn, when we're babies, we don't learn very fast because we still have to build up the uh, learning cap capacity of the brain. So if you were to sort of plot our learning cap capacity on a graph, 
it's going to be a little flat for a while, and then it's going to take off. You know, when you're when you're five and, and through through your twenties or whatever, it's just you know it's 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 going very steep. But then as you get older, you um, your learning slows down, and I don't mean everybody. I mean some people probably continue learning at a rapid rate, but I think we we develop some biases about things and those get in the way of, of really learning of, of really being open-minded and they're they're designed to protect us for whatever reason and so we flatten out and um, if if the purpose of of the the bigger system is for us to improve our consciousness, improve our learning, improve our values, all those kinds of things, we want to keep on the steep part of the curve. Therefore, we don't want to live too long. We want to go back and start doing it all over and get a whole new set of experiences that are going to allow us to, to learn at that fast rate again. And I think what our society has done is it's focused on, on extending our life for for the purpose of of what to put us on a maintenance plan so pharmaceutical companies can get rich and you know people die without dignity now and they you know they don't they're certainly not in a a high learning um stimulating environment toward the end of their life like they used to be and i think it's unfortunate we've 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 done that because of i think a a misconceived notion about what what reality is all about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, no that's well, well put. Yeah, it's a good, it's interesting to think of it that way. I, cause I, I'd kind of like to live longer, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's but just I'm also, to learn really, more there. But I also want to, you know, I want to experience, uh, life after death too. So I, uh, cause I, I believe in that myself. So I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. That's good stuff. I'd like to see the birth of like fucking starships and shit like that, though. Yeah, I know. I'd like to live in the future more than in the past, for sure. <laughs> so, um, is there anything else that you'd like to say, uh, or anything else you want to uh, talk about? Um, no, I think that was good. I think we had a had a really great conversation. Went in, in a lot of uh, a lot of great directions. Um, I would just. You know, the final uh, piece of advice for any listener is just to um, stay open-minded about things, and you know, don't don't just assume that something isn't true because um, you know your 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 teachers or your scientists or whatever say it isn't. Um, if you look at the history of science, you you find all kinds of things that almost every new idea is initially shunned. Uh, going back to uh, Ohm's law in, in electricity, you know, for 30 years he was he was shunned. And the guy who um, first uh, suspected that uh, cave art in the south of France was 30,000 years old, and uh, there are all these these and more recently cold fusion. You know, the the cold fusion guys in 1989 or whatever it was were basically laughed out of the scientific community, and now yeah, CERN skunk is saying works. it's a it's a real it's a real effect. Yeah, yeah. I think Skunk Works was even saying that they're going to do it before 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah know. so it's yeah. you know it takes 30 years for for new ideas to to hit the mainstream. Now what what I find interesting about the simulation theory is that nobody blasts it too much. Not like they 
they get their ire up about, say, intelligent design or something like that. That's that's just sort of a very religious aliens. debate. Yeah, or the alien thing. Um, but the simulation theory is, uh, you know, in the the physics circles, the scientific circles, you know, people kind of you know joke about the popularization of it, but a bit. But there's really some some good research into it, and and I just think there's going to be more and more, and I think. I really think that we're heading in the direction of recognizing that a, you know, our reality is digital, and b, that it is um, all that there is is far beyond what we think. So I think that's um, it's a hopeful message, and uh, it gives people a lot of areas to explore and, and think about. I'd like to know who designed minus thirty degrees because there seems to be absolutely no need for that. <laughs> no need for that. <laughs> so, where can people uh, check you out? Your your website is theuniversesolved.com? dot com. Yeah, the website's theuniversesolved.com. dot com. There's um, a forum there that's yeah, it's not as active as it used to be, but uh, people still post uh, interesting things. Um, you can connect to me on uh, on Facebook. You can follow the Universe Solved page. Um, the book can be can be bought on Amazon, and uh, you know there's a blog there um, access uh, from Universe Solved as well. So um, yeah, I, I welcome any uh, any emails. My my address is right up there on the website. Um, you know I, I like hearing from people and exploring new ideas. Yeah, and uh, are you on the Twitter as well? Um, yep the the Twitter is uh, Universe Solved. Okay, yeah, we'll make sure we link to all that in the show notes as well. Um, well, Jim, it's been absolutely fascinating. We'd like to really thank you for, for coming on and, and blowing our minds here for an hour and a little over an hour. Absolutely. It's been really fun. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, keep up the fascinating thank work. and Yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you. Absolutely. Yeah, and right. when the new book uh, when the new book comes out, we'll have to have you on again, and, and we can go through all this uh, one more time. Look forward to it. chat with jim elvidge what'd you think darren you've been talking about this uh simulation theory for like the last few months now so what'd you think finally getting a chat with him yeah it was great it was a good conversation he's a really bright guy and um you know it's like he says it's chances are better that we are than that we aren't so i love it when these kind of open-minded smart guys get into all this research and come out with this fascinating stuff you know it, it reminded me a little bit about thomas fusco in our chat with him too yeah, he's definitely got some interesting stuff. Like, especially, I like the idea that you know the universe expands. The farther we look, the bigger it'll get, and the the smaller we look, we're just going to keep finding the same thing. You know, splitting apart, splitting apart, splitting apart, smaller and smaller until you know forever, probably, uh, because you know it makes sense that it's just being written as you go. Yeah, right. So that's that you're talking about that power of 10 thing on his uh, website too, right? So that's fascinating. You can click on it and go down to like 
past the Planck level or I guess to the quantum foam and then you can go all the way up to uh, I guess the edge of the universe or something damn straight damn straight <laughs> where we really don't know what the fuck is going on out there we really don't have a fucking clue it was good though hopefully uh, we can have him on again next year um, when his new book comes out and chat about yeah. that he's definitely a pretty interesting cat oh yeah it was great really great, great chat and of course big thanks to RPGA for coming on this episode as well and uh, always fun when he stops by which will be uh, looks like every more other often. episode at least for, yeah, uh, hopefully. from here on out if not more depending on Mexican Wi-Fi yes depending on uh, internet for sure and then we'll see about this new uh, I heard rum- we've heard rumblings that call recorder for Skype might be getting outlawed so we'll we'll see what happens what kind of hurdles we're gonna have to jump through in the new year yeah that's crazy eh who was telling us that that was the thc guys right the- yeah that was greg carlwood but we'll see what happens we'll figure something out and uh grand miracle will survive <laughs> so we have so a couple guests coming up after this too we have uh fred zimmerman yeah, well, the next in, then, next next episode out will be uh, Greg Carwald and Kyle from... Uh, the Higher Side Chats. The Higher Side Chats, THC. Yeah, that'll be the next one. And then we're interviewing uh, Fritz this week, Fritz Zimmerman, about giants and shit. Uh, so he'll be the week after that. And uh, we'll see who we line up for for uh, our last uh, interview before Christmas. Yeah, the New Year's going to be good. we got lots of people lined up for like lots of big... Big guests lined up for uh, January, February, so it's going to be exciting. Unless we can't record anymore, and then it won't be very exciting. We'll find a way. It'll be less exciting. How did we do this before Skype? We didn't. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's about it. Thanks for uh, for tuning in, guys. As always, you can email us, uh, Darren at Grimerica.com, Graham at Grimerica.com. Uh, Twitter at Grimerica, Facebook Grimerica. You know it's. Uh, oh yeah, it's and uh, we haven't mentioned in a while. Maybe uh, if you guys could uh, find it in your heart to leave us a review wherever you can, that uh, helps out a lot. Yeah, especially iTunes for sure. And tell your friends. Tell your friends. Pass it on. And tell your friends about this show. <laughs> yeah, because the more the more people we have, the 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 better guests we can get on and stuff, and the more fascinating topics we can talk about, right? Exactly. I mean, we can't complain. We got great numbers so far, but uh, yeah, if everyone tells a friend, then we double them, right? So yeah. Uh, other than that, that's about it. Thanks for listening, guys. As always, we will have uh, links to all, all this shit in the show notes and all the music you heard. And uh, if you stick around past the end song, you'll get a little surprise there. Um, oh boy! <laughs> Morpheus meets the Big Lebowski. But <laughs> thanks th- again, Jim Elvidge. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Uh, Thanks, Graham. And we'll see you guys next week.
We've had some terrible news. Mr. Lebowski. At last, as you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. Welcome, Neo. Dude. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? I, I don't know, sir. I can see it in your eyes. Oh, yeah? You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Oh, no. Do you believe in fate, Neil? Mm, sure, that and a pair of testicles. I know exactly what you mean. You mind if I do it, Jay? Let me tell you why you're here. You know my rights, man. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. 
but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Um, I'm sorry if your stepmother is a nympho, but, uh, you know, I don't see what this has to do with, uh... Do you know what I'm talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. Was that yoga? Even now, in this very room. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. You look like an Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. I don't need your fucking sympathy, man. I need my fucking Johnson. You have to see it for yourself. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to be. Bummer. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. What, are you a fucking park ranger now? This is your last chance. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream?